0: All right, we'll be reading from Isaiah 53. Um, Who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he, has grown up bef- yeah, <laughs> For he has grown up before him as a tender plant, and, the, and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form of comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief, and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions and he was bruised for our iniquities and chastened for for our Chastisement. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we, were, we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was
1: oppressed, and he was
0: afflicted, yet he
1: opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. Who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, because the rich, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin... And he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. You may be seated.
2: Good morning. I'm gonna ask if you would to join me in a word of prayer as we look to God's word this morning for an assurance of our hope that we have in Christ Jesus. I'm excited to be able to share with you from God's Word this morning. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we have come together to hear from you this morning. And so with your word open before us, we ask that you would speak to our hearts. We ask, Father, that you would wash our minds with your truth. We ask that you would lead us in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Father, we are grateful that you are the potter and that we are the clay. We ask this morning that you would mold us into the vessels that you would desire us to be. And we thank you for your great love toward us, exhibited through your Son, Jesus, upon that old rugged cross. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. I'd like to draw your attention this morning to the cross. That's where I'd like to take us this morning, is the cross. And I'd like to be clear right from the outset that this cross of which I'm speaking this morning no longer holds Jesus. Amen? No longer holds him. We have a, and and we'll we'll have more on this next week, we have and serve a risen Savior. But as we'll see here this morning, we're going to look at this cross upon which Jesus died. This cross which serves as a shelter, the hymn writer says, in which we can Hide. Yes, the Bible is very clear and records for us many things that lead up to the cross, point us toward the cross. In fact, the Bible records that Jesus hung on the cross for approximately six hours. From that third hour, about 9 a.m., up till the ninth hour. About 3 p.m. And we know that this particular Good Friday, and church, it is good. This particular Good Friday was preparation day for the Jews. And as such, they desired that the bodies of Jesus, and remember the two criminals that were hanging to his right and to his left, they desired that the bodies be taken down in a timely fashion. So what do they do? They go and they pay a visit to Pilate. And they request from Pilate that he take care of removing the bodies to which Pilate agreed. Soldiers were delegated to break the legs of those who were being crucified. This breaking of the legs would expedite the process. But upon coming to Jesus, we see that the Bible tells us the soldiers recognize Jesus was already what? He was already dead. He's already dead. So they do not break any of his bones, which in and of itself fulfilled the scriptures. Psalm 3420 says not one of his bones shall be broken. One of the soldiers, in fact, shortly after this time, pierced his side with a spear, blood and water. Came flowing out. That too was prophesied. Zechariah 12.10 says that they shall look on me whom they pierced. Well after this the Bible says that Joseph of Arimathea. You remember Joseph. Wealthy man. He had a love for Jesus but the Bible says secretly. Joseph comes and. Asks Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And after confirming that Jesus was truly dead. According to the gospel record. Pilate releases the body of Jesus to Joseph. Nicodemus. The one who came to Jesus at night. Remember John chapter 3. Nicodemus is the one who helps Joseph. Take the body of Jesus to a nearby garden tomb. A new tomb. Completely Yes, it was unused. Nearby the city. Again, because the process was being expedited. There was a need to get these men off the cross. There was a need to get them in the tomb after they had died. And Jesus is buried in a nearby garden tomb. And having bound Jesus' body in strips of linen, which was in accordance to the Jewish custom... They laid him in the tomb over which a stone was secured. And it's at this point where we can see from the scripture that Jesus had died and now in haste he was buried because of the preparation day of the Jews. Jesus had died on the cross and now was buried in the tomb. And the Jews having heard what Jesus had spoken before he died, they approached Pilate the next day. You remember what they asked Pilate this time? They were asking him for permission to secure the tomb. And Pilate sends a guard to protect the tomb and allows the Jews to seal it. Top level security over a tomb. Jesus is dead and guards are standing by in case his followers get any ideas of coming to steal the body. The tomb is sealed shut. The scripture records for us that top billing is given to see that Jesus stays ...in that tomb. Now before preaching the glorious news of the resurrection... ...next week... ...I'd like to take in the meaning... ...and significance of the cross of Jesus Christ. Next week we'll be looking at Luke 24. You can be reading ahead Luke chapter 24. It's where we're going to be the first 12 verses I believe of Luke 24. And we're going to celebrate next week... ...the risen Savior that we have in Jesus Christ... For today, I'd like to look at what the Bible says about the cross. Specifically, I'd like to track and look at how Jesus arrived at the cross. How did he get there? Why the cross? Why was it necessary that Jesus die? And what difference should the cross of Christ make in my life and in your life? Does the cross of Christ today, right now, make any difference in your life? It should. The Bible says that the message of the cross is what? Foolishness. To whom? To those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is what? It's the power of God. That's found in Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. In that same context, it says that that the Jews look for a sign and that the Greeks want a display of wisdom, And the message of the cross, it says, is foolishness to those who are perishing. I stand before you this morning realizing I'm preaching a foolish message. This is a foolish message to many in the world today. To preach the cross. But to those of us who are being saved, this message is not foolishness. This message contains the power of God, church. The message of the cross is the power of God to those who are being saved. You know, I read the scriptures and I see that power is connected to this cross upon which Jesus died. I see the connection and I wonder whether the Christian truly grasps the power available in the cross of Christ. Has the Christian today settled for knowing the facts of the gospel, that Jesus died, that Jesus was buried, that Jesus was raised? That in itself is the core of the gospel, which we find in Corinthians chapter 15. But have we settled for simply knowing those facts of the gospel in exchange for living out the gospel by faith? Have we lost sight, perhaps, that this good news message centers on the finished work of Christ at the cross. So how did Jesus arrive at the cross? What led to his death sentence and the cross at Calvary? On one hand, we can see from the gospel record, the biblical record tells us why they put him on the cross. The charge was blasphemy, wasn't it? Blasphemy. What is that? What, why did they do this? They essentially were, were saying that Jesus was, they, they, they crucified him because he was claiming to be equal with God. He was God. He was saying he was God. Church, I want to ask you this morning, is Jesus God? Or was he just a man? See, it's important that we not only see from the, the biblical record why they put him on the cross, why the, the chief priests and scribes handed him over to the Gentiles, the Roman authorities, and placed him on the cross, it's important that you too are able to answer the question and are able to see why Christ went to the cross. Because Christ going to the cross has much to do with each one of you sitting here in a chair. There is not, in fact, a person in here that this message is not relevant to. Because you see, every single one of you, myself included, we all need the cross of Jesus Christ. We all need to understand the power and the implications of this cross upon which Jesus died. For without it, as we'll see, we are left accounting for our own sins. Well, we can go all the way back, and in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, you're familiar with the creation account, male and female, he made them, right? Genesis 1 and 2, day 1, day 7, he rested. And then we turn the corner to Genesis 3. In Genesis 3, we become aware of this crafty serpent, And we keep reading in Genesis chapter 3 and we see that this male and female that God had made and created and placed in this garden. And had given Adam responsibility to work and tend to this garden. Things look so good in Genesis 1 and 2. And they are. But according to the Bible, Eve is deceived. According to the Bible, Adam who is deceived. And stands as our human legal representative. In Adam, we what? Sin. We see in Genesis chapter 3 sin coming on the scene. And we see in Genesis chapter 3 that God is handing out curses. He speaks to the man, he speaks to the woman, he speaks to the serpent. And in Genesis 3.15, he says to the serpent, I will put enmity. Listen, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her, capital S, seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. I want you to remember that word bruise because it's going to show up again. In fact, it showed up again if you were listening to Isaiah 53. To speak of the power of the cross, we must address sin. We must. And this is where things get a little bit messy. Because there are not too many people today that want to talk about sin. Not too many people think they're all that bad. Truth be told, we all think we're a little better than what we really are, don't we? And compared to some others that we know, we're not really that wicked at all. You see, this message of sin, for some, is outdated. Very few people seem to be interested in hearing a word today about sin. Oh, maybe they would indulge it if it's About someone else's sin, of course. But surely the preacher is not talking about my sin. Promote a message on sin. And you're likely to have some empty chairs on that Sunday. Sin doesn't oftentimes bring people in. (laughs) But preach a series on how to be a better father. How to be a better mother. How to improve your marriage. Listen. It won't work... To be a better father or mother unless and until you deal with the sin in your life. You can try the the six steps to improving your marriage. But if you haven't dealt first with your sin, all you're doing is putting a patch on the problem. We all, all of us have great need to confront the sin in our lives that so easily entangles us, the Bible says. We need to repent of our sin. We need to know where to turn when we do sin. You see, understanding the roots of sin and being able to humbly acknowledge our sin before God is a key to godly wisdom. And when you realize that your sin is connected with Christ dying on the cross, the cross all of a sudden becomes personal. It's no longer this gospel factoid that you carry around with you to recite, but it is a gospel truth to cherish. You see, God demonstrates, he put on display, church, he demonstrates his own love toward you and me in this. Romans 5, 8 tells us. While you were yet a what? A sinner. Christ died. For you Consider that for a moment. You see the enmity spoken of back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. I want you to see and realize that picture that, that, that has been pronounced by God to the serpent. That enmity spoken of, it runs throughout the course of the scriptures. The seed of the serpent versus the seed of the woman. Pointing ultimately, even as far back as Genesis pointing to the Christ yet to come. If you keep turning the pages of Scripture, you arrive at Isaiah 53. Isaiah prophesies about 700 years before the arrival of the Christ. And yet as you read through Isaiah 53, knowing what we know about this Jesus who went to the cross, Isaiah gives us a pretty clear picture of what this Messiah was going to go through. Gives us a pretty clear indicator of who he was going to be. His purpose. He was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with griefs. We see, in fact, in Isaiah 53 the prophet recounting not only his suffering and what that was going to look like, but the reason behind such suffering. Let's not miss the reason for his suffering that's accounted in Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 verse 5 says, he was wounded for our transgressions. We were a bunch of lawbreakers, transgressing, going above and beyond, over the line, And we'll see just a moment how important the law that came into play, how important the law was and how the connector between the law and our sin and the cross. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised. There's the word, verse 5. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon Him. And by His stripes... We are healed. Verse 6 says, The Lord has laid on him his suffering servant. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Verse 8 says, For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. The transgressions of My people, he was stricken. Verse 10 says, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. And we see he, here in Isaiah 53, 700 years before the arrival of Christ, we see another picture, another indicator. Death seems to be the Father's will. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. You know, we talk about all the time in the Gospels about when Christ was here, we see it, especially in John's Gospel, we see the emphasis upon Jesus carrying out the will of the Father. And Isaiah 53, I believe, in part is at least pointing us toward one of the things the Father sent him for, one of the primaries, in fact, he sent Jesus for. Not simply to live, but to die. It pleased the Lord. To bruise him. Verse 10 also says... When you make his soul an offering for sin. A sin bearer is made mention of here. And In fact, this is interesting because... This idea of an offering for sin... As the law comes into play... We see all of the sacrifices... And all the details involved in one making sacrifices... The blood of bulls and goats for a time were used to provide and offer atonement for sacrifices for sin. But we know those were but a shadow of what was to come. And they're all pointing toward the reality. And the reality and the substance of that was Christ himself. Verse 11 says, by his knowledge my righteous servant shall justify many for he shall bear their iniquities. The cross is where he would bear those iniquities for his people. And verse 12 says, He poured out his soul unto death. It was necessary for him to die, and it's even prophesied that this one to come who was going to suffer, he wasn't just going to suffer, but he was going to die. In fact, it was confirmed that he did die. Pilate confirmed his death before he gave over his body to Joseph. The Bible tells us that. Think about how silly it would have been for Pilate just to without even knowing or checking just say yeah you can have his body. No, it was confirmed he was dead. It says he was numbered with the transgressors. In this prophecy we see in the gospel records. He died between two uh, thieves. Right? He was numbered with transgressors. He was in fact counted as a criminal on the cross. These two guys were thieves. And Christ is crucified alongside these criminals, these transgressors. And he bore the sin of many in his flesh at the cross and made intercession for the transgressors again speaking to his great love and how he demonstrated that love he did it that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us he interceded for the transgressors Isaiah 53 what a wonderful passage Isaiah is prophesying that the righteous servant of God is going to die because of man's... Listen, he's going to die because of man's sins, man's iniquities, man's transgressions. There is coming, according to Isaiah, the prophet, one who will take on the sins of his people and thereby heal them. Spiritually speaking, heal them. Give them a new heart, the prophet says. Going to heal them, providing for them a way to have peace with God. How many of you this morning have that peace with God? Having them been justified by faith, we now have, Paul says in Romans 5, we now have peace with God. And we are only justified, declared righteous through Christ, through his finished work at the cross. So the sin in Genesis chapter 3 affected all of us. You see, Adam was chosen by God as our human representative. And when he sinned, all of mankind sinned as well. And, and before some perhaps start to get a little uncomfortable about this. Romans 5.12, I believe, captures and. and if you read 5:12 through 21, it gives you a more complete understanding of what I'm speaking to here. But just to give you an idea, a snapshot, Romans 5:12 says that just as through one man sin entered the world, tell me church, who's the one man through whom sin entered the world? Adam. Okay? Just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. Romans 5.12 tells us that sin brings death. Death spreads to all men. Yes, yes, Adam was our legal human representative. And in Adam we all sinned. But it is also true, apart from what Adam did, even yet today, as you look at the life that you have lived and have been here on this earth It is also true, you have sinned, is it not? In fact, the Bible says, if you have not sinned, if you claim to have not sinned, you are a liar. And the truth is not in you. But praise God, there has been provided a way that in the event you do sin, we have, 1 John chapter 2 says, an advocate before the Father, whose name is Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. Who serves as our what? Propitiation. We'll get to that in just a moment. Sin brings death. And death spreads to all men because all sinned. And so Jesus then, being our sin bearer, he died on that cross. Listen, Hebrews chapter 2, an important passage of scripture. I'll just read the 14 and 15 of Hebrews 2. It says, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, flesh and blood, okay? Right here, flesh and blood. As the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise, that's Jesus, he himself likewise shared in the same flesh and blood. John chapter one, verse 14, God came down from the heavenlies. He tabernacled among us for a time. God became flesh. Hebrews chapter two says, he himself likewise shared in our flesh and blood. Why? Listen, this is incredible good news. He did so, the Bible says, that through death, he might destroy him who had the power of death. That is, the devil. And, there's something else here. And, not only that, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Jesus took on flesh and bones, became man. Not only to destroy, as what John echoes this idea in First John chapter 3, verse 8, for the purpose of the Son of God was manifested right here, that he might destroy the works of the devil, right? He came to do that very thing, but he also came to release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Church, I want you to know this morning that through the cross of Jesus Christ, we have a bondage breaker. And his name is Jesus. There is no need to fear death. In fact, that's what Paul says in chapter 15. In light of the resurrection of Christ being true, in light of the fact that Christ did rise. The record is, is speaking very clearly. That that his life, when we look at his life and we see what he came for. There's no need to fear. No, Where, O oh, death, is your sting? Where, Hades, is your victory? You see, if we are in Christ, we too have died. This union is brought forth as we think about the cross, as we think about where we are connected to the cross, how we are to live in light of the cross. This is good news. You see the law and the prophets and the Psalms, they all point to the Christ to come. And they provide details for his brief stay among us. In fact, in Matthew's gospel, right at the beginning, in the first chapter of Matthew's gospel, chapter 1, verse 21. You remember the angel shows up to Joseph in a dream, right? Shows up to Joseph. Joseph is about ready to put away his wife. About ready to be done. Because he sees that she is expecting and the angel shows up to reassure Joseph. But the angel also tells Joseph that this one who is to be born, you shall call his name Jesus, Joseph. For he will save his people from their sins. He will save his people from their sins he came to save we know him today as a savior and the angel of the Lord speaking to Joseph says to name him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins in fact First John chapter 3 verse 5 says that you know he was manifested to take away our sins and in him there is no sin oh that's so important for us to know Not only the fact that he was manifested to take away our sins, but in him, in Jesus, there is no sin. So this one born to Mary, conceived by the Holy Spirit, came to destroy the works of the devil, who had the power of death, the one who had sinned from the beginning. But Jesus is also manifested to take away our sins. I want you to see that Jesus didn't come down here for a vacation from the heavenlies. This was no joy ride for Jesus. There is a mission for which he's sent. A purpose direct from the Father. He's arriving in the midst of the enmity still at work from Genesis chapter 3. His life and more specifically his death put an end to the enmity that for so long had existed. Long before Christ went to the cross, God gave the law through his prophet Moses, right? Remember that? You read the books of the law, and you begin to see the vocabulary of sacrifice and death, blood, bulls and goats, you start to see the rigorous demands of the law and the need for the earthly high priest to make atonement for the people once a year. You remember that? Leviticus 16 talks about that day of atonement. The law arrived on the scene 430 years after Abraham, Galatians 3.17 tells us. Why bring up the law? And how is it connected to sin and the cross of Christ and what we're speaking to here this morning? Well, Galatians 3.19 asks that very question. What purpose, then, does the law serve? What purpose does it serve? The Bible gives an answer to the question. Listen, in Galatians 3.19, it says that the law was added because of transgressions. Because of transgressions. Till the seed should come. Remember Genesis? This enmity between... The seed of the serpent, the seed of the woman. Until the seed should come to whom the promise was made. Romans 7, verse 7, Paul says, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, You shall not covet. The law was what revealed the sin to him. The law then according to Galatians 3.24 served as our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified not by works of the law but justified by what? Faith. The law then serves as a mirror. A mirror. Think of the law as a mirror. It shows us when you look in the mirror you see that mug of yours. Some of us are more pleased and satisfied perhaps with what that looks like as we look into the mirror, especially first thing in the morning. But the mirror reveals to us the very thing that we see. If there's dirt on your face when you look into the mirror, you know that the mirror in and of itself is not going to be able to cleanse the dirt off of your face. But the mirror is going to point out and make clear that you look pretty silly with a bunch of dirt on your face. It's going to drive you to the wash basin to cleanse your face. You see, the law serves as our tutor. It takes us by the hand to the one, to the only one who can cleanse us and save us. And that's Christ. And that points to the cross. The law cannot save us, friends. The one born to Mary, conceived by the Holy Spirit, he was born to save his people from their sins. Jesus alone saves. And some today are relying on their works to save them. The Bible tells us in Galatians chapter 3 that some, in fact, then were relying on works of the law. It says, Curses everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. And James says it this way. He says in, in chapter 2, verse 10, For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he's guilty of all. Think about that. You can keep all of them except maybe this one. You're guilty of all of it. You might be saying, well, man, that's, that's pretty much impossible to keep that law. <laughs> yeah. You see, I hope by now you're recognizing the need to speak to the law. For if no man is justified or declared righteous by the works of the law, if no man is able to keep the entirety of the law, if in fact we are cursed for breaking the law at one point, then we are just flat out sunk in the water, aren't we? We're truly without strength. We truly find ourselves before God in a helpless estate. And it's right here that I'd like to enter into the picture of the cross. God's amazing love. For God so loved the world that he gave. He, he so loved that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, many of you here know that verse. You can recite it. You were taught it perhaps as a young child. But perhaps your familiarity has washed away its significance. You see, God gave us his son out of his great love. Sin, remember, brought death. And God sends his son and provides everlasting life to those who believe and receive in his name. John 1.12 Listen to this wonderful news. Found in Romans chapter 8 verse 1. There is therefore now no what? No condemnation. No death sentence. There's no condemnation. To those who are in Christ Jesus. That's our union we're, we have died with Christ. We've been buried with Christ, and we'll speak to this next week. Been raised with Christ to walk in newness of life. Well, how can this be? Keep reading Romans eight, and three and four, you see, for what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh. God did. Just two words. God did. How? By sending his own son, text says. In what manner? Text says in the likeness of sinful flesh. Flesh and bones he came, right? For what purpose? On account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. By what means did he accomplish this? The cross, church. He condemns sin in the flesh at the cross. Why? As it pertains to the law. Romans 8, 4 tells us, so that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but walk according to what? The spirit. We, on our own, can't keep that Law, But praise God, he saw fit to send his son. And you know, there are many today who are still trying to operate according to their own righteousness. kind of This whole idea of, of, of if I just accumulate enough good things that outweigh my bad things, this scale of merit, this performance treadmill idea. Romans chapter 10 verse 4 says that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. 1 John 3 5 says that Jesus was manifested to take away our sins. But it goes on to say that in him there is no sin. Now Jesus lived, think about this. Jesus lived his entire life, some 33 years of life. ...without sin. His entire life was lived without the stain of sin. So when you arrive at a passage like 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21... ...then you have cause to rejoice over what God did. For he, that's God. God made him who knew no sin, Jesus... To be sin for us. For what purpose? That we might become the righteousness of God in him. In Jesus. Union. In Jesus. There is a way God has provided for us to be righteous as he is righteous. And church that only comes in a relationship with Christ. Our good deeds don't merit this. We are declared righteous through Jesus. Only in Jesus are you seen as righteous. In fact, the Bible speaks of righteousness apart from Jesus and his finished work at the cross as nothing but filthy rags. Paul, for many years of his life, pursued this righteousness which is from the law. You remember that? In Philippians chapter 3, verse 9, Paul Paul says that his desire was to gain Christ, to be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law. But that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. This is the righteousness that's spoken of in Romans chapter 3. If you turn to Romans chapter 3, and in Romans chapter 3, we see this wonderful, beautiful picture of this righteousness that has appeared. Now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. In other words, hey, this is not a new idea. The law and the prophets have been talking about this for a long, long time. This righteousness from God, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Who's it for? It's to all to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have fallen short. All therefore stand in need of God's righteousness which comes through His Son, Jesus. Listen, the cross... Stands as both an expression of God's amazing love and His mighty wrath. We don't like to talk a whole lot about God's wrath, but at the cross, His wrath was poured out. It brings together, the cross does, God's holiness, God's justice. What is justice? It's getting exactly what you deserve. Isn't it amazing in our society today when we think about justice, people a lot of times are wanting justice served, aren't they? It's amazing how quick they desire justice to be served when it impacts them, someone who's wronged them. The idea of justice being getting exactly what you deserve You see, as we think about the cross, and we think about the cross representing this justice of God through Jesus Christ. What we really deserve, church, is death. Because of what? Our sin. That's what we really deserve. The wages of our sin is what? Death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I love how the Day of Atonement represents this idea. One author describing this very well, he says that the, the first goat, there were two goats, remember, represented in the Day of Atonement. And the first goat represents Christ's work of propitiation. Propitiation addresses the wrath of God. It's the work of Christ saving us from God's wrath by absorbing it in his own person as our substitute. So this first goat was killed and its blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat. The the second goat represented Christ's work of expiation. There's propitiation, there's expiation. Basically expiation is this idea of removal. And it accompanies propitiation and speaks of the work of Christ in removing or putting away our sin. You remember they laid hands on that goat? They send that goat where? Out of the camp. And it's a beautiful picture, church, of what God has done through Jesus Christ for your sins and for my sins. He has removed them, the Bible says, as far as the east is from the west. He has plunged them to the depths of the sea. He remembers them no more. That's what he's done with our sin. And that's representative in these two goats. This one goat that served as our propitiation. Whereby God was exhausting. I'm going to use the word exhausting. Exhausting. He exhausted his wrath. Romans chapter 3 that says that, that for a time God didn't punish sin. Not because he thought it was okay. No, God was storing up his wrath and in that moment at the cross, I want you to understand and see something that when Jesus is on the cross, it's much more than physical pain he is experiencing. He is also experiencing the exhaustive wrath of his father against sin. God is holy and sin demands payment, penalty. Just as we have laws today. And when you break a law, when you're in a 55 mile an hour speed limit zone and you're going 75, there is a penalty that you will incur should there be a cop in the vicinity. You can't just do what you want to do. There are laws in place. We were lawbreakers. Jesus was the one who came and served penalty for you and for me. He served the penalty. for Listen, for all of your past sins, all of your present sins, all of the sins yet to come. And now he has, through Christ, at the cross, this finished work at the cross. The cross is... This picture that that reminds us again of all that he did about our sin. That he wasn't ignoring it in times past. But no, in fact, Paul says in that Romans chapter 3 that he is now, even now through Christ, showing that he is just and the justifier of those who are righteous. He's the one who justifies them. wonderful passage in Romans chapter 3. Jesus has cleansed you. He's pardoned you. Think about a pardon. We sing about his grace, don't we? We sing about his mercy. He's pardoned you. You were the one, if we were to take the illustration, on death row... We were all essentially death row inmates awaiting our day. And at the last minute, you receive a pardon. Not because of what you've done. Not because of works of your own righteousness. But because He's seen fit to do that. He's pardoned you. He has redeemed you. He's provided the ransom. Listen, the one who has redeemed you also in his own flesh at the cross paid the ransom. We sing the hymn, Jesus paid it all. And he did. He paid it all. The penalty for sin, that bondage that we spoke of earlier, he broke the chains through what he did at the cross, setting us free. He rescued you, the Bible says, out of darkness. He's transferred you into his marvelous light through the cross. Do you see that God purchased you with the blood of his son? There was a purchase price. Truly, as Paul says in Corinthians, you were bought with a price. Ephesians 2.13 says that you were once far away. Those who once were far away have been brought near through uh, the blood of Jesus the perfect lamb of god john says john 129 the perfect lamb of god who takes away the sins of the world i love that expression in john's gospel in fact if you read matthew mark luke and john you come very clearly to see that the death burial and resurrection of christ are Crucial for our understanding as a believer in Jesus. His coming, yes, it's important. The incarnation, God coming down. Matthew and Luke, we have two gospel accounts of him coming down. We have four gospel accounts of Christ's death, burial, resurrection. And I especially enjoy John's. And the line in John chapter 19, verse 17. It says, and he... Jesus and he bearing his cross. The other gospel writers speak to this one who came from the country of Cyrene and he was around and he was the one who was compelled to carry the cross of Jesus after him. But John's gospel specifically says he, Jesus, bearing his cross... And I especially appreciate that. Jesus, after all that he had gone through, he's bearing his cross. It says he went out to a place called the place of a skull, which in Hebrew is called Golgotha, where they crucified him. They put nails in his hands. They put nails in his feet. Two others were with him, one on either side, and Jesus in the center. Jesus died, Jesus bore our sins in his flesh on the cross. And when we get just a glimpse, and this is but a glimpse, there is so much here. But when we get a glimpse of what Jesus did through this cross, I hope we ask the question, what, what then is our response? How then are we to live in light of this cross, in light of what Jesus did, in light of God's amazing love toward us? Can I leave you with just a few scriptures to consider? I don't want to fill in the blanks for you. My hope is that as you read God's word, you ask of God through the Spirit to speak to you. I'd like to just give you some scriptures to consider. As we've just talked about the cross of Christ. And in answer to the question, how then should we live? What's this look like in our lives? Is the cross still in effect for today? Has the cross lost significance for our lives yet today? I hope that in giving you some of these scriptures this morning, you'll be able to embrace them. You'll be able to walk in them. The first one is Luke's gospel, chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. And there's a preface to what Jesus says here in Luke 9. The preface is this. If anyone desires to come after me. Here's the preface. If anyone desires to come after me. You need to really understand and think through. Is there a desire to come after Jesus? We know and we've just heard where Jesus went. He went to a cross. Now Luke chapter 9 is speaking. Jesus is speaking before going to the cross. Jesus says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, no small thing, and take up his cross daily. It's interesting that Jesus uses the cross as an image here of what it is to follow him. Let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and... Follow me. Church, it's important that we understand that discipleship includes a cross. Many of us perhaps want to follow Jesus on our own terms. But I believe Jesus speaks of what it means to follow him. And he emphasizes what it means to follow him by expressing it with a cross. Take up your cross. Galatians chapter 2. As we live our lives for Jesus, it's important that we remember who we are in Christ. It's important that we remember our union with Christ. Chapter 2 verse 20 says, I have been, Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, flesh and bones, in this life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Sounds a lot like John three sixteen, what Jesus says to Nicodemus about how God so loved the world that he gave crucified with Christ so then how's that going to impact what I do how I live oh turn to Romans please Romans chapter 6 because in Romans chapter 6 as Paul has been talking about how we died if we died with Christ we believe we should also live with him knowing that Christ, haven't been raised from the dead, we'll get that next week. He dies no more. Death no longer has dominion. The death that he died, he died to what? He died to sin once for all. See, that's what separates our great high priest from the earthly high priest that you read about in Hebrews. In the book of Hebrews, it says that there were earthly high priests and every year they stood before the people to offer what? Sacrifice on behalf of the people. This great high priest we have in Jesus Christ's church One time, one time sacrifice for all. The life that he lives, he lives to God. And so here, likewise, you also, here's the application right here, verse 11. You also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin. Reckon, consider yourselves dead to sin. Jesus paid it all. Consider yourselves alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present the members of your body as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. One final one. First John First John Chapter 4 It says in verse 9 in this the love of God was manifested toward us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might what that we might live through him We might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be what? The propitiation for our sins. The one who bore the wrath, exhausted the wrath that we deserved. Christ became our substitute, paying for that penalty for which we deserved. In that same letter of 1 John... In 3 verse 16 it says, By this we know love because he laid down his life for us. What then is our response? How then is this connected to those of us gathered here this morning? I want to end right here. If we understand what Christ did for us, the Bible says we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Luke 9, 23, Galatians 2, 20, Romans 6, 11 and following, and 1 John 3, 1 John 4. Many other scriptures, but I believe for our day today, that will suffice. There's much for us to continue looking on here in this word I pray that each one of you will be asking of the Lord to teach you his statutes, to bring to your attention, to bring to light the truth of the gospel message and to bring, in particular, as we've talked about this morning, front and center, the importance, significance of the cross in our lives. Let's remember we have a message that is deemed foolishness to those in the world today. But as one who is being saved, One who looks forward to the day. That glorification. Paul writes in Romans 8. We look forward to that day when Christ comes back. But until then, it's important that we walk in a way that he's called us to. And that includes our union with Christ. Cherishing that old rugged cross upon which Jesus died. If you haven't praised him lately for the work of the cross... I hope and pray that today you would give him thanks. I hope that each one of you make it a pattern in your life to be on your knees before him, thanking him every day for this gift of salvation, for his great rescue. He didn't have to, but he did. And for that, we ought to be the most grateful people here on earth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that at the cross, the burden of our heart rolled away. It's there at the cross where by faith we come, we believe, receive you as Lord. And I pray as we consider the cross today and yet this week, looking forward to the resurrection we'll speak to next week. Father, that we would live, as Paul says, carrying around in our body the death of Jesus Christ, that the life of Christ might be made manifest. Father, as we remember what you did for us at the cross, the outflow of that is Everlasting life, which is to be lived out right here and now. A life that reflects and shines light to the world, showing to the world the love of the Father. A life that is comparable to that of the suffering servant we just read about in Isaiah 53. One who willingly laid down his life. One who unashamedly speaks of Christ. I pray, Father, that you would move us and shake us from just knowing these facts of the gospel, but that, Father, we might, by faith, walk with you in our days ahead, using these members that you've given to us in our body as instruments of righteousness, considering ourselves dead to sin, alive to you. We thank you, Lord, for that great name. The name which there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. His name is Jesus. We thank you for him. We say amen.